Welcome to the show that punches you in the face with information. Welcome to the Wolf's Den. My name is Mark Atterbury, and today my guest who's joining me is Enterprise Master Coach Marshall Tan. Today we're going to be getting into the world of nutrition from university degrees, if it fits your macros, all the way to intuitive eating. It's going to be some fun. Marshall, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Den, and welcome back to Australia, my friend. Thank you very much. It's been quite some time, I believe four years since I actually came back to Enterprise Fitness. So, yes, so those yeah. who don't know the backstory, Marshall and I met, you were a com- you wanted to compete. Yes. And um, you were 20, 20 years old? I think 20. Yeah, it's, I, so basically we've known each other for eight years right now. Eight years? Yes. So it was 2010. 2010? No, no, it was 2011. <laughs> we're in 2020 right now. We, so I met you 20, 2012. Yes. 2012, 2012. Yeah. yes, eight years. I thought I was earlier. So yeah. you competed... You were doing your university degree at the time. Then you came to work at Enterprise. I remember our very first internship that we ran here. Oh. You looked at me and you said, we had trainers from all over the Australia. You looked yes. at me and you said, how come? These are all trainers. And I said, yes, Marshall. And you said, how come none of them know what they're doing? I'm like, Marshall, this is the industry, right? Like, we, we got to get the word out. And, you know, so many years later, um, you became a master coach here. You then went to Dubai. You yes. went all, all around Dubai. You've had some interesting experiences, even working with uh, royalty. Yes, I did. And now you've made your way back to Melbourne, thanks to, to the COVID. Yes, the, the COVID Rona, as they call it in the... Uh, <laughs> the so what are, what are some lessons that you've taken from uh, Dubai? Well, I guess it's the same thing where people still, um, people in the fitness industry needs a bit more humility and basically stay in their own lane and actually keep learning skills there. After you qualify as a personal trainer, sorry, you're still not qualified. You have to learn more. And I think you do not know everything. And that goes with the quote there, you know, the more you know, the more you know, you don't know much. Yes. Just to paraphrase it there. Yes. Yeah. So that would be one thing there. And many other, you know, uh, life lessons there in terms so of self-reflection. You, you saw that you saw that in Dubai as well as you saw that here. There's a lot of say arrogance in the industry, hubris oh. in the industry, where yes. people think they know a lot more. I mean, we saw it a lot, you know, with um, with biosignature. A lot of people would do a biosignature course, think they understand everything about there is about hormones, mm. and you're kind of trying to treat hormonal problems based off a of biosignature and not looking at blood work or the Dutch test or anything like that and really looking at the full picture, which is, you know, obviously uh, very, very bad. You know, you need to make sure you have uh, good analytic data or, or nominal data that you can compare against and understand what you're doing. So you saw that in Dubai as well as here, but I'm guessing you saw it in other ways with like therapies and stuff. Yeah, I guess in Dubai, it was actually worse off. Yeah, there are just a lot of people who are, let's say, Instagram influencers and just, you know, have good bodies, popular good booty, just whatever like that. And basically, and say, it'll basically say, you know, I'm a trainer because I look really good and people just go to them because of Instagram following and have no qualifications in any manner. So basically you'd say, say, see a client or a trainer teaching a client how to squat there. And they're not even squatting properly, not even halfway, like quarter squats. Mm. And things they think that's normal and they put it on their Instagram saying, look at me training my client doing a squat. I'm thinking, it's not a squat, well, bro. Wow, <laughs> that the audacity that you're yeah. making you're making personal training horrible. Well, yeah. I mean, isn't that the case, right? Like people always look at the guy or the girl with you know the the abs yeah. um, or the ass or whatever it is. Where really, I, I think you know the, the the what the measure of a coach is in their clients. And mm. one thing that I preach so much to to all our trainers here, all trainers in the industry, is you are a reflection of your clients. And I know for me, the way I built my business. Uh, was in my credibility as a trainer was didn't matter if it was Peggy Sue never been into the gym before or if it was a Janet Kane who's won four Australian titles 
I would train them to basically be like what I thought was the image of perfect training, like, you know, my business card. So they would go in and they'll get their, you know, squat rack, whatever they were doing. And people would go up to my clients, you know, the, the Mary who's never been to the gym before. And be like, mm. Are you a personal trainer? And she'd be like, no, I'm an accountant. And it would be kind of comical. And they'd be like, wow, you know how to squat, you know how to move, who trains you? And mm. she'd be like this guy named Mark. And that's one of the ways I got a lot of clients was simply that my clients were going into public gyms and other people were seeing, wow, you train differently to everyone else. But more importantly to that, I think it's the depth of results that you're able to achieve. A lot of people are able to look good themselves and can figure out enough of what works for them, yeah. but they can't figure out what works for everyone individually. And that's the thing I know in my career and your career and what good coaches, the, the telltale of good coaches is they have so many different clients from all different walks of life and they're able to speak to that. That's the magic of coaching, not just simply having some ass and tits because that's very, <laughs> that's very fleeting. Yes, you know? exactly. And the other thing with like beauty, for example, beauty mm. only lasts for so long, right? Mm. So you've got to have substance to your knowledge, substance and, and wisdom and actually be able to produce. And I, I think it is, I mean, it is the fitness market, right? People are attracted to what looks good because yes. they want to look better, but they don't always realize that just by chasing that, you know, shiny flashy object or that piece of ass or that, that abs or whatever, those mm. bigger biceps, uh, they don't necessarily have any of the answers for you. They don't understand the biology, the physiology, or even the coach and motivational aspects. And it's also something to be said from a coach that is genetically, I suppose, behind the eight ball because they have to work that much harder to figure out all these things for themselves. And I know I had yeah. that. Oh, yeah. You had that. We had oh. our bad experiences, right? <laughs> yeah. And we really had to figure out like every step. It wasn't easy for us. And mm. if we will say genetically blessed, like I know in my, my, um, my very first bodybuilding comp, I came last, yeah. right? It was very hard for me. Oh. And I was the fat kid at school, right? all these kind of things. I, I had to work hard. And because of that behind the eight ball experience, it made me a be much better coach mm. because I had to figure it out. I had to figure it out for myself. And then I, once figuring out for myself, if I'm my hardest client, then actually everyone else isn't, isn't so hard. What have you found? Oh, well, exactly the same thing there. Isn't our own challenges, especially in the you know, fitness industry there, when we're able to overcome it for ourselves there, let's say you're not, not having the best genetics, not having the best knowledge or whatever like that. And when we do overcome that, we're able to actually reproduce that with other clients itself there. And that was the magical point there because we're so frustrated and we want to keep growing, we want to be better for ourselves and for our clients there. So essentially, we held ourselves to a better standard as in, all right, cool. I, we know there's a lot of knowledge that we don't know, hence we kept learning and we didn't stop so learning. Let's get into that, right? Like the Marshall story, you mm. know, you were the typical from what I understand, right? Uh, to paraphrase your story and kind yes. of cut to the chase. You were the typical Chinese kid, yeah. right? Um, you were overweight. Yep. You, because you were overweight, there was lots of things that you were told you're not allowed to do or you had to do being a Chinese kid. Yeah. Um, one of them was, you know, you've got to get good grades, you've got to do this, you've got to go to uni. You found very early on that uh, you wanted to, to look a certain way mm. and you weren't popular, you didn't have these skills. Yeah. So then you went out and you made it your mission to then learn actually nutrition. You went to uh, get your degree, you went to university, you went the formal route. Yeah. What happened next? Well, well just, what am I missing from that initial piece? Well, from the initial piece, it's in like my, it's the starting of my life there. Yeah. So I guess it was the case of, uh, so when I was in high school, I would finish high school, uh, let's say 3 p.m., typical, right? Mm. Classic uh, high school. Then I would actually catch a bus to the city here and do my personal training diploma or certificate with... Um, How old are you? I believe I was 17 or 18 right. then uh, when I was doing my year yep. 11. Yep. 
So I would do that. So the only reason I actually did that was because I want to improve myself. So that's when I actually all started that whole personal development as such there. Uh, I wanted to learn more about training so I actually improve myself there because I had this, you know, anger or such in myself there that I just wanted to grow. I just want to learn. I wanted to be better with myself physically in that sense there. So I did that. I, you know, finished high school, then finished that diploma there. So I was a certified personal trainer. And then I met you whilst I was doing university there. And the thing is, when I met you... Just to qualify for yeah. the audience, what was the university course exactly? Uh, so it was a Bachelor's of Human Nutrition major uh, major in Advanced Physiology. So that makes you a nutritionist? Yes, it, makes you it a does. Dietitian. Yes, uh, nutritionist. Right. Yep. Uh, to be a dietitian, you need to do your Master's of Dietetics right. to you continue on, which is an extra two years, I believe. Right. Yep. And yeah, so like I was saying, then I did meet you and I actually had my world basically blown because, wow, I was thinking to myself, I did not know much about training after doing my personal training course there, which is a bit shocking because that course went for six months and I paid money for that. I thought I actually knew something. And then you told me about so many other things. You basically opened my eyes and showed me, oh, there's actually way more to personal training. And yeah, that's where... So this is this is exactly yeah. what we're talking about today, right? Mm, so like exactly. Formal education, how it's failed a lot of people. Exactly. Uh, you know, especially in nutrition. Especially oh. in nutrition. You know how many nutritionists, nutritionists, dietitians have come through my door, seeking my help, mm. being overweight, being you know whatever, having all these problems, eating disorders, emotional. Like that's actually one of the biggest groups of people who I actually found myself. Mm. I, you know, full disclosure, I didn't go to university. Right. I'm just a guy who, who loved training, who fell in love with physical culture. You were talking about how, you know, after school, you would you would get on the bus and go to the course. Yeah. You know, when I was uh, 15, 16, I remember it. I'd finish school three 3.15 and I'd always try and finish, get out just a little bit earlier than everyone else. So I could cut, catch the 3.52 bus from East Doncaster, secondary <laughs> to Donca uh, to Westfield. Hmm. And then across the road, there was a gym called Genesis Doncaster. Oh, I know that gym. Yeah, it's burnt down now, actually. Oh, they're, wow. They're building houses on it. Um, so I would train there. And I remember like my knowledge when I started as a kid, uh, my knowledge around nutrition, I knew nothing, right? Like everyone mm. else. You know, I thought uh, uh, post-workout meal was, I'm not kidding when I say this, like a quarter pounder. But you get you get a double, right? You get two two extra bits of meat. Oh, you because, need the protein, right? Yeah, you need the protein. Or you get a mixed chicken or a quarter pounder. Like they're yeah. the highest in protein at McDonald's. So, mm. and, and then from just applying and learning trial and error, uh, and I suppose creating my own curriculum Mm. of this is the this these are the books that i wanted to study these are the people who i want to emulate so for me it was a big influence was the western a price um, foundation another big influence was uh johnny bowden i think i've read everything of johnny bowden huge fan uh, and obviously there's been a lot of people who i just met along the way who were personally you know in melbourne uh helped me out a lot from you know warren clampard to a guy named george there's been a lot of people tony doherty as well mm. just put me on the path and guided me and and let me kind of figure it out, but make enough mistakes. And also that's when I, I learned some of like uh, John D. Martini, NLP, because I had my own eating issues. Yes. And it was the, the really D. Martini and the stuff with NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, that really gave me the framework to go, right, all this stuff that you're learning about nutrition, uh, the principles are sound, but you don't have the you know capacity emotionally, uh, uh, however else you want to say it, to actually implement it. Yeah. And they were the skills to go, right, this is actually how you put it together. So from, from what you learned in university, like what, what fail, what do you think are the failures of university? Uh, 
university, I guess, all right, so, all right, let's just go back to university, just what can you remember about university there. So for the first year, you have the typical foundations for all the Bachelor of Science there. So you learn about the basic chemistry, um, biochemistry and everything like that, which, you know, all right, that's cool, but I couldn't use that to implement being a nutritionist there. So that's just cool to learn, just the bare basics there, but it just wasn't fun, to be honest. Then when we actually got to the point where we're supposed to learn nutritional knowledge there, we learned through statistics, basically. We, weren't, uh, we learned about how to read papers or how to use data to actually say, all right, cool, this is how much vitamin D your body needs. Or, you know, there is uh, different types of uh, uh, iron in vegetables and meat there, and how much is actually needed for different, uh, different bodies and different people there. Or the classic RDIs, which is your recommended daily intake there. So, all right, we've got just the scientific side on it. And we didn't have the application there. So we didn't get to the mindset and sense of, all right, cool. I've got a person who comes to me. How do I actually start? Do I throw papers at them and say, hey, uh, so this paper says that you got to do this, so you should probably follow that. But how about knowing that person and figuring out how to apply that? That's what's missing, to be honest. Because it was too scientific to an extent. I'm like, yes, we need that. We need to actually know science so that we can apply the basics. But then the thing is, how do we apply it to the psychology of it? So basically what it lacked was the art of coaching. The art of coaching the, or counseling. Yeah, the, the psychology and actually how to implement the practicality. The practicality. And that's where, where I, what I learned was, you know, through all, all the things you're looking at, the, the studies, looking at the science of it, really understanding the science. But I suppose where I dovetailed from what, where a lot of people go wrong, uh, I dovetailed into aggressively learning about these communication methods. Mm. Even I went into like hypnosis, right? Mm. Because... I was like, I need the tools to be able to better communicate to people so that I can actually get the outcome that I need. Yeah. And what I often find myself saying to people is, you know, you don't need a better diet, mm. right? If you just followed the diet that you were given three months ago, you'd actually get the results that you needed. Done, just what, like that. What you need is, is the ability to implement the diet. Exactly. And that's what everyone needs, yeah. which you're fundamentally saying, it's like, it's, it's all very well and good to develop like, if it fits your macros, macros, whatever, and count your calories and all these strategies. Because let's face it, right? At the end of the day, calories in versus calories out or you go on a keto diet or you go if it fits your macros or you go Atkins carb, or yeah. whatever it is, right? Yeah. They all work yes. because fundamentally people uh, have had success and I think where people get lost is they argue on why they worked mm. or that basically their dick's bigger, right? This this protocol <laughs> is better than your protocol. Yeah. The reason why, right? The yeah. reason why keto works is because you lowered your calories. Yeah. Or the reason why you lost 40 kilos on a vegan diet is because it's, it's inherently lower calorie, yeah. right? But I think what people miss yeah. is that people are going, all right, this is the set of principles. Mm. If I just, these set of principles make sense to my model of the world. Mm. If I just follow these set of principles, I'm going to actually get an outcome regardless of the modality, let's say whether it's keto. Yes. Like people dismiss keto because it's, you know, it's only fats and um, you just and lower protein. your calories, yes, right? Like exactly. it's calories in versus calories out. But mm. I think at this point of the game, if calories in versus calories out, like what you said about the university message, like just understand the science of it and it will happen. Like that, that's not, that's not enough. Yeah. Right. It's not enough in mm. the sense that people can continue to learn and i've seen again with the example of the nutritionist they go to school they get the degree and they still struggle because the emotional set of rules of their model of the world that science doesn't match there's not a synchronous of who they are and how they can actually implement the data yeah thoughts yep i completely agree there uh speaking of you know the big day comparison there i mm. completely agree there i feel as if you know people are just holding themselves to to a belief structure 
And if you just talk about it, they're just going to be so aggressive about it. And it's like, hey, don't be aggressive about it. Open up your mind to you know the possibilities there. Yes, you know, there is calories in, uh, calories in, calories out there. There is the, you know, holistic way of eating there, whole foods and such. You know, whatever works for you, works for you. Perfect. But you don't have to be too aggressive. It's like, oh, I might get a bit of backlash here for, you it's know, fine. talking about the vegans or whatever like that. Yeah. It's like, cool, there are vegans out there, but you don't need to come up to me and be aggressive and tell, tell, preach about it. You know, whatever works for you, perfect. Well, I, I think it's even <laughs> true for like the evidence-based community, right? Mm. Like, because people go, oh, I'm in the evidence-based community. Like, you know, you have to have 65 papers on this one thing. But the truth is in the evidence-based community, there are papers proving against what they're saying, right? Like there are studies showing for both sides. Yeah, always. Uh, always. So to say that something's like evidence-based, again, at this point, it's like, well, my science is better than yours. Yeah. Therefore, you should listen to my cult leader hmm. instead of your cult leader. But hmm. then, you know, and I think you saw this with... Um, the documentary, the game changes, right? So they put the documentary, the game, which is the vegan documentary, ah, you know, right? They oh, had, um, you know, oh Chris Presser and um, <laughs> James uh, Wilkes, I think it was, mm. on the uh, Joe Rogan show, and they went back and forth. We actually did one, Jeremy and I, and we spoke about that podcast. But the, the point was, you know, it was Chris versus James. Like my science is better than yours. Oh no, you mm. misread the study. No, you don't even know how to read forest plots. Oh no, you. At the end of the day, like all well and good, but you've just confused people, yeah. right? And and, and and then there was like, um, what's his name? Um, Bio Lane, right? Uh, uh, well, Lane Norton, Norton, right? Yeah, yeah. And then he did a critique of it mm. with a study and yeah. he was really aggressive on it. And then there was like, you know, someone else in the vegan community did another study on it yeah. and they were really, and it's like, you've misread the study. It's, it, at the end of the day, what they're saying is you, my science has been, you know, but what you're ultimately doing, what I think a lot of the scientific community miss mm. is it's that appeal to that emotional, for whatever reason, it's getting the right nutritional protocol and principles and making it fit into someone's model of the world. And I think it's also about accepting, right? Because to a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah. And it's also about accepting that you might be an evidence-based guy, right? Like your mm. tool, like you, I know you, right? Like your tool is like, I like to count my macros, right? I like to know where I hit. Mm. But it's also accepting that you're going to meet people that to them, they the idea of counting macros. Oh, it's just horrendous. It doesn't fit them. They would just the kill world, your head. Right? Like it's just I just don't understand numbers. I wasn't good at maths as a kid. Mm. Uh, I hate maths. I hate numbers. That really sounds complicated to yeah. me. It's like, no, 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 it's simple, right? This is it's all about this. Mm. Just give me a set of rules. And that's where they say, you know, you can eat whatever you want as long as you don't eat carbohydrates. Yeah. And they're like, oh fuck, I can do that. Yeah. And they lose 20 kilos. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But it's accepting that it's it's what people do where I think a lot of uh, experts go wrong is they challenge that. Oh, well, the only reason you lost weight was because you lowered your calories. You know, you could actually do it on if it fits your macro plan. Well, no, the truth is they could do it on if it fits your macros plan. This person, this Cannot. person has a set of rules nope. in their life that doesn't allow them to do what you did. And mm. you need to actually go into that person's model of the world and respect that they need sound bites, information, you know, big picture concepts that make sense. Yeah. And of course, we're talking about the general population here. If you're talking, let's say, high-end athletes there. I would even well, say for athletes Would you well. say so? Yeah, for everyone. Everyone, Because yeah. I don't know if you've heard the analogy of um, Chef Baker Cook. I, I believe you mentioned it, but I've never... Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so a way to kind of think about this is you have cooks, mm. you have bakers, and you have chefs, right? Mm. So what's the difference between cooking and baking? Cooking and baking... Um, one involves flour and bread and the other one involves... Um... Well, well, it's the mathematics of baking, right? Right. So if, if I cook a meal, 
right? Let's say I'm making, um, I don't know, some stir fry, right? Yeah. Put some butter on the pan. I put some carrot, put a little bit of parsley. So stir fry and butter? What it is. Like, you know, whatever. I can put like meat, put chicken in there. I can put some chili. Oh, that's a bit spicy. Maybe I'll put some more chicken in, put some more vegetables. There's no mathematics, right? Cooking is very free and easy. Oh, maybe I'll put some coconut in there. Like you can always like savor the dish, right? Baking has the exact formula, exact time. If you put the sugar in before you put the eggs and you put the oven on and you don't do the right steps, I don't know, I don't bake, but if you don't do exactly the right steps at the right Mm. time, you you, you know, your bread's not going to rise. You're not going to get the result that you want. You're going to have a very, uh, you know, cake that doesn't taste Mm. quite right. It's going to be flat. Mm. So essentially people also are like that, right? You have people who are quite big picture yeah i think athletes regardless of whether you're a professional athlete or regardless of whether you're just a general pop person Mm. because i know people who are not general who are general pop yeah that are bakers Mm. right and you give them a macro plan they love it they're like wow why didn't i know this earlier this changed my life exactly but then you get athletes on the same uh who just are not numerically inclined whatsoever and you plan out their calories (laughs) and they look at the sheet and it reminds them of primary school where the teacher made fun of them for not being good at maths. Mm. Well, the kids made fun of them not being good at maths and they've got a lot of negative connotations and they just rule it out. Like, I'm just not interested in this. Give me the big picture. Yeah. So they're fundamentally, when, when you group someone into cook and baker, mm. right? You know, understanding whether the person you're working with is a cook or whether they're a baker. On top of that, what I find is the chefs. The chefs are the ones who have been doing it for a long time. Right. Mm. So you might meet um, a client and they've had maybe six other coaches before they've come to see you. Right. They've been all around and they've trained and they're already at a point where they kind of know to a degree what works. Mm. And chefs can actually be pretty much pains in the ass to work because chefs, depending on their experience, they can actually be really easy because they know what works and they just do it. And because at the end of the day, like a, a five class, you know, whatever Michelin chef, they can break the rules. Because yeah. they know like they can see this ingredient and be like, you know, I'm supposed to bake this certain way, but instead of baking this way, instead of adding salt in, I'm going to add, I don't know, some other ingredient, yeah. right? Switch it out, get the nitric oxide, whatever <laughs> it is, make this like cool shit happen. Yeah. No one's ever seen before. Mm. And for whatever reason, they can make it work because they have that level of experience. Whereas 90% of the, the population, yeah. that ain't working. And you see these people like in bodybuilding contests, they're just mm. mutants that, you know, the night before they had you know, um, a whole plate of lasagna oh, yeah. and there is no science behind like them eating dairy that oh. much, this or whatever. And then before they go on stage, they drank a bottle of whiskey and you're like, this just does nothing, not make sense. Nothing about yeah. what this person does has made sense, Yeah, but they're a mutant and they're able to do it. It works because they're at a certain level. Yeah. And this is where the general population come in where they go, Oh, chef, I want to do what the chef's doing. Oh yeah. No, 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 no You no. don't get to do what the chef's doing. The yeah. chef doesn't even know why it actually works and it just works it just works yeah right so coming back to full circle around Mm. like athletes in general population like i challenge the point that it's like well you know we can start whoever is with this kind of generalized you know you know approach to nutrition whether it's paleo or whatever yeah i I think fundamentally a diet needs to be hunted fish gathered and plucked Mm. right i think that's that's the 80 percent of the diet and yes there is wiggle room right yes but you've got to be at a high enough level for that wiggle and the higher level you are, the more wiggle room there is. Like the leaner you are, the, the more high glycemic, you know, high sugary. High sugary, like, like you, you've got maple syrup post-workout. Yeah, I mean, I love maple syrup post-workout. <laughs> yeah. But you, you're not, like that's something that you earn. No, yeah. You know, like um, through your, like, say for example, we to, to analogize this 
with the belt system, you know, from white belt to black belt. Mm. You don't, you know, expect to be kicking people's ass at white belt. You got to earn, earn, earn. Same thing with, you know, being able to add these foods back into your diet. You want to get someone lean enough because you got to respect the, uh, how do I say, um, biology, like the things like uh, hormonally. So things like uh, insulin sensitivity. Yes. Right. You, you, so insulin sensitivity is a factor. But again, the calories in, I suppose, evidence-based community will say things like, well, it's all just about calories. If you just lower the calories, mm. then the insulin sensitivity will improve. Yeah. But it's, for me, at least, I don't know about you, it's not a question of all. Like, it's not like I have to do this or this. Yeah. I can do this and I can do this. Yeah. I don't have to pick and be divisive in terms of which camp that I sit on. I, I want, want to optimize everything, right? Yes, exactly. As, optimize as, everything. As best possible. What, yeah. what have you found? Well, it's one of those things with nutrition-wise where I say optimal is relative. And I always say that. And so when someone asks, oh, what's the best nutrition? I'll say it's completely dependent on the person there. And yes, all right, cool. So we can actually fix insulin sensitivity. You can always fix, uh, let's say, low carbohydrates, high carbohydrates, everything, depending on the person. Yes. But it is the psychology of it, too. So let's say, all right, we get a client. And let's say somewhat obese there. And it's good for them to go on a lower carb diet and, you know, to help them with inflammation and with the insulin sensitivity as well as, you know, cut back on calories there. But the thing is, if they can't follow it, it's not optimal, is it? So the most optimal thing would be, all right, cool, give them a bit of carbs and they can actually do it and be in a caloric deficit and actually feel better in that sense and take a little steps there. Then eventually, let's say you go no carbs or go lower carbohydrates there. Then I say that's the perfect scenario there. So it's a compliance trail. Basically. Yeah, yeah, compliance. Because the thing is, nutrition is so simple. It, is, it shouldn't be complicated in any way possible. Eat whole foods. How freaking hard is that? I think so nutrition is easy. It's just the compliance. It's the, um, there's so much information out there just confusing people, being evidence-based, being low carbs, being carnivore diet, being keto, being that. It's like- Atkins, vegan. Exactly. It's like, which one do I pick? The general pup would say that. And I say, whatever works for you. We got to figure well, out whatever works for you. The question is what works for me? How do I know what works for me? I mean, and that's where people, it come to us, right? <laughs> people start saying, oh, I'll do the blood type diet. And then you have the evidence base oh. saying, well, you know, maybe it's just all about calories. And then you have uh, the keto population, uh, the keto group saying, right. well, no, nah, don't do that. That's too hard. You don't have to weigh anything. Just eat whatever you want, but just select these foods. So I think... I think the advice, like, find what works for you, I mean, it's kind of it's, it's easy. Yeah, I know. It's frustrating because, like, how do they know that? Correct. Well, I guess the biggest advice that could I could always give is stick to whole foods first because that will make life so much easier. No matter if you're going calories in, calories out, but keto, whatever. whole foods are like wheat picks. Um just about to jump on the table and attack you right now. <laughs> but we are. No, but that is, that that is, is the that perception. That is the general consensus. That is the general, like whole foods include wheat, you yeah. know, and, and uh, commercial milk and uh, who knows what else. All right, like so let's take a step back. Meats. All right, let's take a step back there and actually go for, all right, so let's redefine the term whole foods here. Let's go for, the, like we said, uh, hunted, hunted fish, fish gathered and gathered and there. Thank you, Johnny exactly. Bowden. Oh, okay. Yeah. Huh. All right. Well, cool. it is, no, that is the Johnny Bowden fo famous four food groups. That's yes. where I got it from. Like, yes. I'm just giving credit to the, to oh, the master. Okay. <laughs> John, Johnny Bowden, like, you know, he's the one who, who I first heard coined that term, which was yeah. hunted fish gathered and plucked. So people sometimes think that I came up with that. I didn't come up with that. That's Johnny Bowden. Oh, yeah, the paleo diet. Yes, exactly. Yeah, well, not even paleo diet. This was Johnny Bowden and wrote that I think like to, in 2000 yeah like we're talking 20 years ago he said yeah. you know the, it was even before I can't remember when he published Living Low Carb it was a number of years ago now yeah. um, but you know he would talk about his famous four food groups being hunted fish gathered and plucked that's how I define yeah you know, and uh, the thing is that actually works so freaking well because that well, includes whole foods there and correct. the thing is let's say hunted 
fish and gather. So that's your vegetables, that's your protein there. And yeah, that's basically it there. So if you're able to have that, let's say science will tell you, you most population needs more protein. Most of the population needs more vitamins or micronutrients. That's going to be your vegetables there, as well as your meat there. Most people need fiber. So if you stick to that hunted fish and gather, life is just going to be fairly easy. I'm just going to just put it out there. So biggest advice, stick to that. So the thing for you though, like, because you've kind of come full circle, at least I think you've come full circle on this, mm. right? So you, you, I think you actually have come like full circle twice. I'll explain what I mean. Okay, yeah. So you started off with your university, mm. you got indoctrinated with calories in versus calories oh, out, yes. right? Then you met me and mm. I was like, nah, fuck that shit. Calories don't count. I remember C you telling me that. Count, you told me that. Right? Which and I was they, so frustrated. They, they, I was they like obviously <laughs> do count, but I was like, so like, my, I wanted to shake you and say, oh, there, there so is much. a life behind, you know, there's more to food than just counting calories. Mm. And then you kind of snapped out of that and you went to, like, all right, calories, I'm pl placing too much emphasis on calories. Right. And then I feel like, I don't know, maybe like, when you were here and when you went to Dubai, you kind of went more into the macro, let's count everything, let's weigh everything to the letter. And then now coming back, you've come to the actually, I'm actually a really big advocate of intuitive eating. Yo, I am a very big advocate so, of that. So sure. I suppose the question on all of that is what prompted, I suppose, what, what for a guy who is very science-based, let's look at the studies, let's look at just calories in, let's do the macros because mm. you've done that you've done it to a very high level and you know you understand it better than most experts to bring you full circle back to intuitive eating personally and as well with your clients what like what's that process like what prompted you what what triggered it i think it was just a frustrating frustration of needing to count calories so the thing is all right okay i've done every diet under the sun i've done atkins i've done low carbs i've done keto i've done if it fits your macros i've done carnivore for a month i've done literally every diet possible so it was a case of all right cool i did it just to learn about it as well as to you know i always all right so i like this idea of you know there's something there that i could always learn so i was trying to learn from that mm -hmm. and the thing is at the end of the day it was annoying at times where you have to follow these guidelines. So that's why I pursue- What was annoying at times? Just quantify what you're saying. Uh, it's like, all right, so low carbs. I have to stick to low carbs all the time. Oh no, there's restrictions of sorts. Okay. You know what I mean there? And, so, then, and then you had the same thing when you went in for future macros. Yes. It's like, oh, I got to stick to this. I got to count vegetables. I do not want to count vegetables. I just want to eat a piece of broccoli if I want mm -hmm. to and not count the protein. But you get to eat your ice cream if you want to, if you calculate it. Yeah, but the thing is, it's not really fun doing so it. So it comes down to trade-offs. Yes. There's too much trade-offs with uh, a lot of these diets there. This is perfect because this is exactly my point. Yeah. If people argue about, you know, uh, a keto diet oh. is unhealthy or clean eating, right? The, f the famous one is clean, clean eating is an eating disorder. You know, only eating chicken and broccoli and, and just wanting to eat hunted fish gathered and, and plucked, yeah. eating like wholesome foods, that's an eating disorder. And you should be able to pig out, you know, once a week and eat whatever you want, regardless of how healthy you are um, versus just count your calories and eat whatever you want. I say like both of them inherently what I think the evidence base and if a future macros community forget is that both of them are based on perspective. Mm. Like I can have the perspective that counting my calories is easier. You can have the perspective that it's harder. I can have the perspective that actually if I just choose these foods, I don't have to focus so much on counting. It, it, it really comes back down perspective. And that is what you're saying from doing all these diet. It is the perspective and probably in time, I'm guessing the, the diet that you're doing now is kind of that center point of eating wholesome natural foods, yes. but also calculating, but then putting it in a way and format that actually has still a bit of wriggle room. Yes, exactly. I mean like, so right now, 
as we speak. Hybrid. Yeah, it's always a hybrid, isn't it? I mean, it's always. Yeah, so I'm, like, I'm going through different phases of my life right now. So let's say if we take one year ago, literally a year ago, pre-COVID, <laughs> um, yeah, I was just intuitive eating and I was fairly lean. I had my six pack abs all year round. I wasn't even caring. And there was just intuitive eating because I know how much protein I need, a palm size, easy. I need some vegetables, perfect. I felt like, let's say going out for a burger, I will go out for a burger and I will not complain. And I had the best relationship with food because I struggled back then with relationship with food because of, you know, all the calorie counting, all the science base. Oh, well, I competed back then too. We'll get into that later. But yes. um, yeah, so that's why I push back to intuitive eating. So let's say, all right, the phase right now I'm in, it's like, all right, cool. I want to put on more size. Okay. If, if I may. Just oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Second, I'm just right? jumping definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Because you just, you just brought up something like oh, key, yeah. right? Yeah. So we've got, you know, we've got a number of clients. I'm thinking of a couple in my head mm. right now, uh, young girls. Okay. Right. And, they come here and they struggle with food and they have the best intentions, very intelligent, very mm. intelligent girls. And um, they, they, they love their fitness. They yes. live to, like they love training. When they come into the gym, it lights them up. They yep. love seeing their coach and they have a thousand questions on nutrition, mm. right? And they said exactly what you just said, where they are. They, they have a bad relationship with food. Yes. How did you navigate that? How did you, and I mean, what year are we talking? Was this just a couple of years ago and now you've navigated? What are the steps? How does someone get control of it? Yeah, so that's actually learned. So basically for me to actually answer that question, we just got to go back to my history yeah, okay. of competing. Yes, let's do So that. I competed first with you coaching me. Yes. Uh, then the next two competitions. So I did an IFBB physique show with the Victorians here. I got yeah. fourth place. That was pretty good. Then the next one uh, in Gold Coast, I got first place in the novice, yeah, in a novice physique. Amateur there. Olympia. Yeah, Amateur Olympia. Yeah, so that was pretty, pretty good. Pretty big. Yeah, it was pretty it's big. Pretty big. But one of the th biggest thing that I did that year in terms of prep wise, which kind of oh, fucked up my head there, and give, gave me a food disorder was, I did a one year prep for those two shows. I had only three cheat meals, and that was in the first month. Wow. Yeah. And none of that, I did not stray one bit and did all the cardio. At the very end of the show, I had only 1,200 calories. I was doing two hours of cardio a day and two weightlifting sessions. How much did you weigh? Uh, I weighed on stage 69.9. And I shredded glutes. By all means, I was freaking So you were mean. like 40% like below baseline, 50% below baseline. Oh, yeah. I was, oh, yeah. So we were counting calories and everything. Like high yeah. protein, zero fat, zero carbs. So it wasn't the best there. So yeah, so that basically gave me an eating disorder there. So after that, when I actually do eat food... So can I just back you up, right? Yeah. So I had a similar thing when I competed ah, the first yes, time, yeah. right? You know, restricted and all that kind of stuff. So I completely get what you're saying. So you had this super restrictive phase. Mm. From the super restrictive phase, you then started to go, right, I have absolutely no idea what I'm supposed to eat. Like, what was the next step? Oh, right. So actually, before jumping into that one... yeah. For me to actually go for one year without a cheat meal, basically, yeah. I had to use this. This is the same way I actually got out of it, by the way. Right. I had to use the be, have, do model by Dr. John D. Martini there. It's more of like, who do I have to be? You, you mean be, do, have, sorry. Napoleon, it goes back. Oh, is him. it much? Yeah, it goes way it's back. It's be, do, have, right? Be, do, have. But yeah. be, do, have is like old. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, well, I first heard it from anyway, you, from Dr. Yeah, G. Yeah, Dom, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, basically, you have to be the person to do the actions to get the results there. Then you create a habit yeah. loop there so that you actually keep doing that and that ingrains in your head there. So for me, I had to be a competitor in my head. So I acted like a professional 
bodybuilder or professional physique there. And that's how I actually did it. I did all the cardio without a complaint, without a tear, and I was just straight on. Identified as a competitor. I identified that's who myself. You were. If I said, who is Marshall Tan? At back then, he would have said, I am a bodybuilder. I, I compete. Exactly. This is who I am. This is what I do. Exactly. So that's exactly what I did there. And so after that, I had my, well, I had my first cheat meal post show there. And wow, I could not control. I went straight to binging and everything because I lost the identity of B2F. I'm like, mm. if I'm not a competitor, who the hell am I? Because for a whole year, I told myself that. And that ingrained myself, that ingrained into my psychology really, really badly. So I was completely lost as to who I was there. So for me to actually get back into it, I had to figure out who I wanted to be again mm. to do the actions and get the results there. So it was a case of creating a new habit in my head and actually learning that. It took me a while, but it was a case of self-reflection and just learning to, all right, cool. I don't know who I am. I lost that because I lost being a competitor. And that whole year just pushed so hard in my head there. So I created a new version of myself there. So the way I looked at foods right now, I'm not too sure who I was trying to be right now, but the way I look at food right now is um, food is a conduit to human connection. And right. Yeah. So that's, that's my, very different. Yeah. Oh, completely wow. different. So basically. So so you. Sorry. Continue. Oh yeah. So basically, in terms of food wise, everything is whole food. When I do not eat, let's say, food that's outside of my, let's say, whole foods, whatever. Let's say I would go out for a cheesecake, whatever. It will always be for a friend, and I will use right. it as connection here because you know, food is culture. Food has been driven into culture. Well, I mean, yeah. Like if you look for the last thousands of years. Oh my god. The whole thing around like sharing food exactly and this is the thing that like in the evidence-based community if it fits your macros a lot and even like keto and things like they tend to forget is that we are indoctrinated or ingrained almost in our biology exactly. not indoctrinated but in, it's actually the opposite mm. that there's always been every culture a passing of you know if i come to your house i, I bring food or i always. bring a bottle of wine oh. or i bring something that signifies uh, a connection or thank you and then exactly. we are sharing this together you prepared a meal uh and with that prepare preparation of the meal whether it's christmas easter whatever pick mm. your holiday um that's signifying you are important to me please eat the food that i've prepared this is an act of love yes uh and now let's sit down and talk about our lives and share more common interests but over this which is actually connecting i love it it's fantastic exactly. yeah so that's that's how i preach my food right now so whenever let's say if we're going to go out for a food there i will enjoy it i will not care for the world because this is between you and me it's not me and the food i have no relationship with food because we could do something else and actually enjoy each other's it's company how the food too. brings you together with the people exactly it's using food as a medium to bring connection into someone's life exactly beautiful exactly and you know what I, I wanted to comment on that because i had exactly the same thing when i competed my first time 2004 came last out of a lineup of eight people um i thought in my head you know i was going to win and i was something special mm. and obviously i got that oh, fantasy yeah. <laughs> broken down right yeah. and um you know very similar i went you know over a year no cheat meals very focused and the diet you know wasn't calculated the, the coach that i had at the time he wasn't a very good coach, you know, let's mm. just put it like that. And uh, that, you know, I went straight into the binging, straight into the binging and really didn't have anything. But luckily I met Tony Doherty. Uh, he helped me compete 2005. Uh, again, I faced after I competed, I fell into that. I am now a competitor because, you know, the oh. thing that you've probably felt is when you get off stage and, you know, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I was a junior. I wasn't at the uh, natural Mr. Olympia, you know, or natural, uh, uh, whatever you call it. The, uh, yeah. what was it? IFB Amateur Olympia, right? Like I wasn't at that level, right? I, I was just at a state show level. Yeah. 
but I still had it. I think people have it regardless of what level you're at. Mm. People get that identity and it's that identity that triggers like, I have to eat this way. Because the other thing that gets reinforced as a competitor mm. or as an athlete or whatever it is, is the minute you get off stage, people then say to you, so when are you competing next? When are you competing next? Ooh. When are you competing next? I've got to add this in. That is what we call priming in psychology. Basically, all right, so we create a new culture of bodybuilding, basically, when we actually decide to compete. So we surround ourselves by people who compete too. We surround ourselves by social media. We follow people who compete and everything like that. And then we prime ourselves saying that we are bodybuilders. We should be doing this. We should have this eating this order. We should be eating five, six meals a day kind of thing. And next thing you know, you've got people who are in the same boat there priming you by saying, when are you competing? You know, are you sure you should be eating that cheap meal kind of thing? I mean, all right, so don't get me wrong. Bodybuilding is a complete extreme spot. It can help a lot of people. Mm. But a lot of the times, I don't think it's the healthiest thing in terms of psychology-wise. Well, I, I think it, it's you know how, how far you push anything. Like, it's using it as a tool. I mean, I mean, using it as a tool. But the thing is, at the end of the day, I don't think it's actually healthy there. Uh, these days, I mean, when you look at it, it's a culture. What is culture? Culture is created by human beings. So we made it a normality to actually train six times a day, which is fine, perfect. We made it a normality to do that. But the thing is, they're making normality well, out of disorders too. Well, the, the thing is though, when you look at culture, I think you can't really talk about culture without celebritizing the image of what that culture is trying to portray. Yeah. Now, what I mean by that is if we look at celebrities, for example, mm. let's just say in the 80s, the first person that comes to mind is like Tom Hanks. Like, yeah. uh, not Tom Hanks, um, Tom Cruise, right? He was the, the poster boy, uh, was that movie? Um, Mc, Tobe, no, what did I, what's that movie? Tobey Maguire, Bus Risky no, Business. Um, no, no, uh, no, uh, Tom Cruise. Anyway, um, show me the money. Show me, Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire, yeah, there yeah. we go. Tobey yeah. Maguire, the guy from Spider. Uh, thank you. So, uh, you know, he, he was a kind of poster boy of, right, you know, this is, or, or even Trump back in the 80s. Like, this is what success is. And mm. people would put him on the pedestal of like, you know, in business, this is what you're trying to achieve. Mm. You know, in Silicon Valley, you know, uh, Steve Jobs, like great Steve Jobs, or these kind of people, or Elon Musk, mm. they're put up and they're celebritized. And from that, I think deviates or um, ascends what people essentially try and work towards and then encourage each other to then, you know, that's what we're striving for. That's the goal. Yeah. And I think in bodybuilding, right? The, the goal in bodybuilding is very simple. Get as big as you can yeah. and get as lean as you can. Yeah. If you're a guy, if you're a girl, basically have the biggest ass possible yeah. and the smallest waist. Exactly. Right? Like it's it's look the most perky or yeah. look the most jacked. That is the goal. Yeah. Now, we are then going to organize our actions as a culture to, if that's the goal, that's what we hold up. And anyone who achieves that, that's what we celebrate. Yeah. Then everything else transcends and goes right if you're not eating six meals a day then you ain't hardcore enough if you're not lifting this way you ain't hardcore enough i mean you see this even in powerlifting right yeah like if you're not training through an injury like say west side oh my god yes who, who, who really pushed that like kind of message if yeah. you don't train through this injury you're not one of us you're yeah. not hardcore enough right but that's ultimately, I think, the, these cultures get affected by. I mean, culture is affected by people at the end of the day. Yes, yes. So, so to say, like, you know, um, I think bodybuilding per se, like bodybuilding, I think you can, you can partake in bodybuilding yeah. without actually having to compete. That's using bodybuilding oh, as no, a tool. That, that is a perfect, that's an amazing way. That's an amazing way. But I, I believe when you keep pushing further and further there, it gets to the point where it's like, all right, cool, what is bodybuilding? It's... All right, like you said, you know, you got to get, you know, smallest waist, get the biggest muscle, have the most developed body there. But the thing is, isn't it teaching people to actually judge themselves physically constantly, being worried that, you know, the glutes are not big enough, getting, make sure that they're not shredded enough there. Of course it is, because yeah, that's the goal. That, that is, I know, but, but you can't is, divorce that. No, I know you can't divorce goal. that. But the thing is, can you divorce the idea that, you know, 
can you, the question is, can you make it healthy though? Can you make bodybuilding healthy in that sense there? Oh, because is there any role model out there that is preaching, cool, I'll bodybuild, but then I freaking love my body. I freaking love, you know, how we're all developing in a psychological sense well, too. Well, you know what? I, I do think there is someone there and his name's Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, and I, I think the reason why I admire him, yeah, yeah, as the guy in bodybuilding still, yeah, is because he did something that most bodybuilders forget: is he used bodybuilding as the ultimate tool to Foundation. then become a famous actor mm. that made him millions and millions of dollars. Yeah. But even before people don't know about Arnie, is before he even went into the movies, he was a millionaire, a real estate millionaire. Yeah, right. So then he went into movies because he didn't want to be someone's bitch. Yeah. Right? So. He had all these tools and processes of being, you know, having a great body. Mm. He used that to his advantage. He said, I want to be a famous actor. Then from being a famous actor, he's like, well, I'm going to be a politician. Mm. Then from being a politician, he's like, I'm going to go around the world and spread my message of health and fitness and create the Arnold Classic and yeah. have business partners in every continent. To me, like people admire and say, you know, Arnie is uh, the greatest bodybuilder and all this kind of stuff. It's like, to me, that aside, right? Yeah. He's someone who used bodybuilding to achieve and to ascend himself exactly. yeah. and there are people who do that even in martial arts like yeah. they're great martial artists or they're great at training but yeah. they use the principles and they t and i'll tell you like on myself i try and be one of these people i think mm. i'm one of these people is i've taken all the the habits of being disciplined with my training being mm. disciplined with my food and then put it all into business yeah. and into personal relationships to actually build and ascend my life because yeah. it's the same skill set right yeah so this is for me it's like yes i think sometimes with bodybuilding and any any pursuit you need to go so hard that you get burnt, yeah. right? So it's like you develop that disorder. And I would say for me, I wouldn't be the person I am if I didn't develop that disorder yeah. and then also come onto the other side of it and yeah. go, right, that there, there's a line. That's where it is yeah. for you. That's where the line is. Now yeah. you can recognize that line. You can come back and go, right, if I cross this line here, this is where it now starts. And I'll, I'll give you a perfect story, right? This, and this is where when I figured it out. This is the line. If you cross this line here, call it imaginary, whatever. If you cross this line here, mm. now it becomes unhealthy. Mm. And I think that's the first part of recognizing that. So for me, I remember 2005, I was backstage at a bodybuilding show mm. and I was hearing these two guys talking about bodybuilding and they're going back and forth. And one of the guys said, you know, I've been competing 10 years and he was talking about all the shows that he won and how like, you know, and the guy's like, you look amazing. And the guy looked, you know, I think he's like 40 odd. He looked amazing, right? You're like, this is how you want to look if you're mm. a bodybuilder. And then he started saying, yeah, I've been having a lot of problems though lately. Um, I've been on antidepressants. Mm. My, I haven't, me and my wife are constantly arguing. I don't have a great relationship with the kids. I haven't taken them anywhere. Haven't been on a holiday in 10 years. Mm. Uh, and basically went on to say, you know, how hard his job is and he just, just hates life, but he's got this bodybuilding. Mm. And I looked at myself in that you know, locker room where everyone was getting pumped up and I saw my future if I continued to identify myself as a bodybuilder, I mm. could work for the next 10 years and be that guy, be the unhappy guy who had you know, all the physique, but he's, he hasn't applied what he's learned from bodybuilding into every other area. So I made a commitment to myself yeah. when I saw that at that time in 2005. And I said, I'm not gonna be that guy. Yeah. I'm gonna empower every area. I'm gonna be successful in business. I'm gonna have relationships. I'm gonna understand what finances are. I'm gonna have you know, uh, social interactions with people. I'm gonna go on holidays. And I'm gonna use this as part of my life to enhance it. Yeah, I completely agree. Like that was, that's freaking amazing there. Um, but I guess the question is, you know, isn't like, all right, I truly believe you, why can you not be a bodybuilder and go out with a half a good family? Why can you not be a bodybuilder and, you know, have a successful gym or successful, you know, law, law career or whatever like that? I think it's people who just limit themselves and say that if they're a bodybuilder, they have to be a bodybuilder. They have to do only that. So I guess the question is, how do we not make, 
well, how do we make sure that people don't actually fall for the trap and get to that extreme there? Because the thing is, my worry in terms of competing is people get too much of an extreme there and associate themselves with one identity. I think you can be every single possible person and still get that results and do pretty good. I believe that. Well, re reiterate what you're saying, though. Huh. Can, oh. you, can you reiterate? Oh, yes. It's like, all right, so I feel like in terms of competing, a lot of people will get in the trap of, you know, them needing to be the bodybuilder to compete. Why can it not be someone who just enjoys bodybuilding, compete, and still be a good father? Well, I, I think the answer is because when you make this your priority, like, I think it's this, right? It comes down to this. It's the myth in life that you can do everything. Mm. You know, th those those posters of those women's support group and they talk about, you know, the woman that can have it all. And I, I think women are, are, are victimized in this way mm. that much more than men in the sense that you can be a have it all woman. You know, you can have the career, you can have the two kids, you can have the husband, you can go on the holidays, you can have all these things, you can have the great body. Mm, truth is to have all those things, something's got to be sacrificed. Mm. You know, you're not going to have an amazing business and an amazing relationship with your kids and amazing relationships and go on holidays. Like I'm a business owner, right? Yeah. Like I don't get all the holidays in the world. I yeah. get it. If the business is burning down. I got to be at the business. Yeah. And that's just the truth of life with mm. anything. So where I'm going with this is that in anything, if you decide I want to compete, mm. right? And you put hundred percent focus and effort in that, it's going to impact some other area of life. Yeah. It's going to. And to say that I'm going to compete and I'm also going to be as, as functioning high level in my business. Well, newsflash, competing, you know, if you're training to compete, it's probably going to take you two hours a day to train. Yeah. Now, if you're in a startup phase or you want to grow your business, that's two hours you don't get to train on your business. And we're not talking even now about all the food prep that yeah. goes into that and the supplements and getting Lethargy to bed early, right? Like, like if I'm in, in hustle mode, I'm going to bed at 12 o'clock. I'm getting up at, you know, six, seven o'clock and I'm just working on business, right? Like training is an afterthought. If I'm competing, then training, I need to situate my day around competing. So right. I, I think uh, you can have a very disciplined lifestyle, mm. but there is a, I suppose, risk in today's society where everything is geared towards achievement about having it all, where it's realizing actually, you know, I can probably only have two, maybe three things at most in mm. my life. And I really actually need to decide what are the three most important and then be okay with that. Deciding yeah. that and going, right, for the next 12, 20 weeks, I've decided that this, this thing called competing is the most important thing. I'm going to go into that hole of being obsessive, but then also understand and having people there to pull you out of the hole yeah. when it does become obsessive. Yeah. And that's where people go wrong, I think personally. Yeah. Because if you're going to pursue, and I think like your question is, why can't you have both? Yeah. Well, I think the reason why you can't have both is because- As well as how do you not fall into a trap you have to and pick. get stuck in the hole so you can't get out? Co correct, because then your identity gets entrenched, oh, yeah. right? And that's where before going into it, I, you know, my wife, Christine, um, she had a very good approach when she competed, right? Mm. She basically said, I want to compete and I just want to see how I'll go. And she made a decision when she competed. Like she's loved training. She's been training her whole life, right? Yes. Um, but she made a decision from the moment before she stepped on stage, she made a decision that she's only going to compete once. And if she wins, she wins. If she comes last, that's it. Cool. Like I'm doing it once. Yeah. She did. She won, mm. right? And then immediately after, you know, she looked great on stage. She, yeah. she could have. She kept going. She wouldn't want to miss Australia. Easy. Like she would have gone very, very far. Yeah. But she decided, no, nah, I'm, mm. I'm doing this once. And when people came to her, you know, when's your next show? She said, I'm not competing again. They yeah. were like, what? Yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. It's like I'm. Not, I just wanted to see what it was about. Yeah. You know. Good on her. She, yeah. She, look, she had the potential, but that's someone. You know, she took it away. And like, I can, you know, we've got two kids now. Um, 
if she said, I'm going to compete, like she'll mm. tell you straight out. She's like, you're dreaming. Like, mm. you know, she, cause she's got a naturopathic business. We've got two kids, you know, she's got me as a husband who's a full-time job in himself. <laughs> um, you know, and all these other things that we want to do together. So mm. then if we're going to add competing back into that, that's another thing that you have to, uh, you know, basically manage. So I think it's, it's about picking, picking which spots that you want. Yeah. I hope you are enjoying this episode of The Wolf's Den with my friend and Enterprise Master Coach, Marshall Tan. I want to take this moment to tell you about Enterprise Fitness. At Enterprise, we are a one-to-one personal training studio specializing in results. We work with people from all walks of life. Now, in this crazy, crazy new world that we're all facing, you want to make sure that you know there aren't too many people in the gym. And that's something that Enterprise Fitness, we can guarantee. Because as I said, we do not open as a gym. We only do one-to-one personal training and we know each and every single person who comes through our doors. We don't think about the hour, we think about the outcome, creating programs and plans for people to hit their goals and results. So whether it's training, nutrition, rehabilitation, or just getting in the very best shape of your life, make sure you give us a call. It's one 888 7143 or email info at All righty, Mr. Marshall, I feel like we need to do a segment and really just like get it out in the open. Let's do calories in versus calories out. Okay. Versus clean eating. I'll give you my initial thoughts, mm. right? My initial thoughts are that calories in versus calories out is overstated. In the sense that, yes, well, fundamentally, it's true. Calories in versus calories out. Like you need to respect that law, that principle. You can't, you know, consume too much. And but to say to people the reason why you're fat or unhealthy or overweight is simply because you eat too much is ultimately a disservice. In the sense that it doesn't give any pliable knowledge to someone. It tells you how someone is getting overweight, e.g. they're eating too much or they're doing the wrong things. But it doesn't tell you why they're eating too much or what they're doing. Uh, and also gives them the possibility of outcome. So I feel that the, the step back from that, again, the, the real, I suppose, uh, committers of these and the people who, who are offenders is the evidence-based community making it, everything is about calories in versus calories out and you can eat absolute junk and absolute shit as long as it hits this target. I think ultimately, holistically, it's, it's kind of like businesses getting free money, right? Like they raise all this money and they have equity. Like that can lead to problems in business because people have mismanagement and they spend absorbent amounts of money and they don't have a business that ever becomes profitable and ultimately they become out of business, right? So I, I think uh, in a lot of ways, we need to peel it back. Uh, clean eating, on the other hand, is just restricting yourself to only eating those foods. I think where people go wrong with that is as what you were saying before about the connection is they don't allow themselves to go to someone's house or go to their friend's house and use food as a celebration means or to be able to actually connect with people. You know, they miss out on their friend's birthday and all these things and just using food as a, as a medium to connect one another. I think that's where clean eating goes wrong. And I think there is a happy medium between the two. And I think we need to spend more time uh, seeing that, like how, how you can actually use the, them both and principles, not eating too much, understanding a little bit about macros and, and implementing that into the plan, but also acknowledging that it's foods that are hunted, fished, gathered and plucked. That is what you're going to be eating 80, 90% of the time. So, yes, I completely agree with your stance there, actually, uh, in terms of calorie in versus calories out there. There's so much extremes there. People just eat junk for the sake of, you know, calories in because calories out because they can get away with it. But the thing is they don't look at the internal size to how their gut is going or how their energy is going or so many other 
fact, it's like blood work there. So there is that overstatement about calories in and calories out there. Um, and just go too extreme there. I mean, hence, you know, if it fits your macros, I'm going to fit in some ice cream because it's okay. But then you feel like crap and you feel really, really hungry there. So yeah, you've, you've lived like that. You've done it. Yes. Like I said, I've done every diet and I was really hungry when I did if it fits your macros. Not a big fan of calorie, counting calories from vegetables, just to put it out there. Mm. Yep. Uh, in terms of the clean eating there, all right, all right. So like we, like we said, that is an, there's also an extreme there. They don't use food as a medium. Of course, eating wholesome food, eating clean food is good for you. But then where is that psychology of, you know, enjoying food with friends and family there? So that medium is completely taken away there. So uh, with that being said, happy medium is always the case there. You can never go to the extremes. Just because um, if it fits your mat girls works for someone else doesn't mean it will work for another person. Just because clean eating works for someone else doesn't work for another person. You have to combine both of them to an extent there. Yeah, I suppose in summary for me, what I've seen is the clean eaters and the if it fits your macros people mm. is they've all changed camps at least one. Like if you do it for long enough, you're going to get sick of it and you're going to hate it mm. uh, fundamentally, right? Like people who go, oh, I'm just going to eat consistently clean. They end up doing it and they, they end up hating it. And the ones who do it for fit your macros, they have the exact experience that you're saying is they get hungry and they're like, oh God, you know, it's 7 p.m. and I'm so hungry and they fall off the wagon too. So it's about acknowledging that uh, you need to use both of the tools in your toolkit to get you where you want to go, not just choosing a camp and, and being dogmatic about it. Exactly. Both camps work, combine both of them and you have the best of both worlds there. You enjoy food, you can actually have food with your family, you can be healthy, and it all works together. So why the hell not? Alrighty, Mark. So right now, I actually want to talk about the culture creation. So we know culture is basically created by human beings over thousands of years, and we are still constantly creating culture. And so basically, in, well, in society right now, or in the fitness industry, they are creating a culture of needing to look a certain way, and needing to eat a certain way, and... Yes, and eating to count calories there. And I find that in enterprise fitness, we are creating a culture of healthy eating and looking, in, looking at food in a very, very good manner there. Um, having a good relationship with food would be one thing. Hence, we're transforming lives here, not just you know, giving them results there. So what is your own perspective in that sense about how we're doing here? Well, you know, I think it started... With you know, it started with me, the founder of Enterprise, and my take on that was, um, I am a healthy person who eats healthy foods that build and nourish my body. Now, as we we're talking before about culture to celebritize, that's who I've lived as. That's who I want to be. When I look at my health and fitness as I relate to health and fitness, it's 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 that's my fundamental core belief. I'm a healthy person who eats healthy foods that builds and nourishes my body. From that identity, so that that was my big aha moment when I became the bodybuilder and I had to live like a bodybuilder. You know, I put my hand on the Bible, which is supplement um, bodybuilding magazines, and I'd have my protein shake three times a day and my nighttime protein shake and all that kind of rubbish. Uh, that's what I was believing, and I wanted to change it with something else because I know that with identity, you don't just simply get rid of someone's identity. You have to replace the identity and, and make it something else, something bigger, more exciting, but something that also is sustaining, 
right? So it can't just be, you know, I'm going to be a champion because you can be a champion, but if you, you know, you win the title, then you get that what's next. So I realized that my identity needed to be self-perpetuating. I am a healthy person who built, uh, eats healthy foods that build and nourish my body. There is no end date to that. That's not a, like, that is my goal, right? But that goal is something that I live every single day. So from that, yeah, I, I agree. That is what we try or succeed at, I should say. That oh, is definitely what we, succeed. We do an enterprise. It's, it's that core belief because when you have that core belief, I'm a healthy person, builds, eats healthy foods, builds and nourish my body. You look at food, it's like, all right, well, I'm going to go out with my friends and the burger I'm the, has the healthiest version of me. I really want that burger. I want to connect with my friends. Uh, well, I'm a healthy person. I, I actually, yeah, I can enjoy that burger. Because you know what? Maybe I'm going to have a little bit extra calories, but it still builds and it still nourishes my body. I'm not going to overdo it. Um, okay, but if I had maybe two burgers, yeah, that's 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 not what the healthiest version of me to do. And so you can make those decisions, right? You can make those decisions and they can be respected uh, in that. But at the same time, it's like, what are you doing 80, 90%? You're not getting, you're not, you're not overweight. You're not unhealthy because you had a burger with your friends, right? Mm. It's like one of the rules that I came up with a long time ago, which eat bad food in good company, they'll get fat too, right? Um, so it's, it's, I think, uh, yeah, to your point, um, that's how I try and live. Yeah, and just to put it out there, Enterprise Fitness does really well with that. We actually transform lives, we create habits there, which is one of the biggest thing for me to come back here because it's such an amazing uh, change uh, compared to the fitness industry or what you actually see out there. Because what you see out there, well, typically, is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change your life in terms of giving you a good quality composition, but what, what happens after that? Literally, what happens after that? Over here, what happens to that is they are freaking happy. They have the transformation. They feel good, and then they will always feel good. And you basically change their lives there. Well, you know, when I was, what, 15, I got bitten by the training bug. And I, it really has kind of become my life's mission to bite everyone. Like, for me to be the actual training bug that goes around biting people and getting them infected with the love of training. And, and not, like, to that point, right, you know, when people, people have asked me almost in a derogatory way, um, what is a personal trainer? Like, what is the role? And fundamentally, I've, that's something I've thought about for over 10 years. Like, what is a personal trainer? And the definition that I've actually come to is a personal trainer is there to teach and educate physical culture. So then the next question is, what is physical culture? Physical culture is all things that relate and pertain to uh, physical activity. So it includes nutrition because if you're involved in, and it also includes communication. This is where I think like gyms are the kind of the modern church in a lot of ways because they're the modern community center. So to go to a community center, people go to a gym to be physical, to connect with people. That's why a lot of people just love going to gyms. They don't even work out hard. They just want to talk to people. So I think that's what enterprise brings in the sense of the reason why we have the success rate that we do in terms of changing people's mindsets is because people come into our environment. You know, this is a, this is a culture in of itself and people buy into it and they realize that you know you can look good you can run a successful business you can be a high performer and you can go out and eat a burger on the weekend too it's not a big deal right um because you're going to be back in the gym monday morning training your heart out and doing nine out of ten things right if you do one thing wrong you know it's it's not a big deal and i think that's what the culture and that's what we bring here and that's why so many people fall in love with it Alrighty, so Marshall, we've got a question on our Instagram. You can ask questions at Enterprise Fitness AU, or you can ask your questions at Mark Atobri on Instagram. We've got this question from Gordon. Gordon asks, um, if someone is overweight with gut sensitivity, will gut issues go away if on a calorie deficit and losing weight? So not necessarily being on, a, on gluten, dairy-free, just a calorie deficit and losing weight. 
Do you want to open with this? I think, all right, yes, I will. Uh, I think at that point there, oh, it depends on what they actually have. If they've got SIBO, if they've got a FODMAP problem or any of those things there, you, all right, a caloric deficit is not enough. It's going to help just a bit there for sure, but you got to address what the actual problem is. If it's FODMAP, they have to get rid of all the fructose, oligocyte, the, 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 all right, I can't remember all the you know sugars there, yeah, type yeah. of chains there, but yeah, the caloric deficit is not good enough to be honest. You actually have to yeah. cut off the products that are actually so, causing them. To totally be, agree. Yeah. yeah, if you if you're lactose intolerant or you have gluten sensitivity and you've got a calorie deficit, you know, you might lose weight, but you're still essentially causing that systemic inflammation and you're also damaging the gut, which is then putting you further behind the eight ball in terms of not actually utilizing those calories and. In terms of recovery so this is where the thing you're going to look at the gut and the immune relationship if your immune system is being triggered because that's ultimately like the gut is the gateway to your immune system if you have a compromised gut then it's making its way into its immune system say for like for gluten for example you're in you're in um triggering the immune system you're putting on on alarm your antibodies your lymphocytes your cytokines to basically create an infl inflammation response. So again, you can be on a calorie deficit, you might lose weight, but you'll still feel like crap and you'll still be bloated. Uh, so yeah, you, you, have to, you have to address those foods. Yes, Agreed. and also there's the thing, you know, that the gut is the second brain, I believe. Like 80% of your serotonin is actually produced from your gut itself there. So if you've got a gut problem and if you actually help, let's say the gluten tolerant help them with the gut problem as well as put them in a caloric deficit, they might actually be more compliant because of that. As in they're producing the right neurotransmitters for the head to actually feel good and like, oh, right, I should probably follow this better because I actually feel much better. I'm more clear. I can actually comply to this. 100%. And also you probably don't have to put them in as such a reduced caloric deficit oh. either. They'll probably be able to eat more food because their gut is better. They're able to digest better. They feel better. They're more active. Because I mean, when you've got a gut issue, I mean, do you feel like going for a run or hitting the weights? No, you don't. You feel you feel like doing, you know, you're, you're conscious, you're self-conscious. You're more self-conscious than what you'd normally be. So yeah, I suppose summary on that. Have you got any anything further to add? Nope. Well, 100%. Short answer is calorie deficit's not enough. You need to address the underlying issues. So the next question, Marshall, and you can start with this one. What are your thoughts on intermittent fasting, eight-hour rule whilst training? Ooh, so, okay, I've done intermittent fasting before. I've done a few variety. I've done the 16-8. I've done the 24-hour one before there. And I say that, Oh, it's not for everyone, to be honest. A lot of times, you know, intermittent fasting work because of, you know, you're clearing your gut, you actually feel much better, as well as you, yes, you're producing a bit more IGF or whatsoever there in terms of growth hormone-wise. But I think a lot of times it actually don't work because you overeat when it's actually time to eat there. So I guess the question would be, why are you doing intermittent fasting? What is your actual reason there? Can you go for a different approach, which is much better than that? Oh, I totally agree. I think, I think start with why. Mm. Someone wrote that book. I think it's called Start With Why. But yeah, start with why. Like why intermittent fast? I think nine times out of 10, the question, the answer is going to be uh, because it's either convenient to my lifestyle or because I heard it's a good way to lose body fat, to which I challenge, you know, both of those notions in the sense that if it's convenient to your lifestyle, you just don't like eating. You know, there are food prep companies that you can get uh, and there are, you can plan out your food of when you're going to eat. That, let's not call it intermittent fasting. Let's just call it lifestyle design um, because I don't think intermittent fasting is the right terminology for that uh, and with that said I think there are uh, some studies uh, that you've probably seen them more than I have and that's with females specifically intermittent fasting do poorly 
uh, over males and particularly older males. So if you are training, I think you know there is something to be said about nutrient timing, even though maybe it's not the the number one factor. Though you know if I'm doing a workout, I certainly you know, having my muscles full of glycogen compared to not full of glycogen is a very different impact. And if I'm, especially if I'm doing strength training as well. So, you know, it's not just for, for bodybuilding training where you want muscle glycogen. If you're doing heavy lifts, you want a degree of muscle glycogen there, even though you would think, you know, this is more of a neurological activity. So, you, you know, your three reps, for example, uh, it's, it's hugely important. So um, I'm not a fan of intermittent fasting. It does have some uh, validity and use specifically, as you said, with gut issues but it's also no good if you're going to eat inflammatory foods after oh, the fast. Exactly. You're going to be back to square one and with nothing to show for it. It's not, it's not a free lunch. It's kind of like the keto promise or the Fafichi macro promise. And I think that's what a lot of these diets do is they promise you can have all the foods you want or you can do everything you want with no drawback. Now, I think being an adult and being an adult about these things is realizing doesn't matter what your approach is. If you count calories, if it fits your macros, clean eating, keto diet, there is a drawback. There is a drawback. So you might think I can eat for not eight hours. No, there's still going to be a drawback to that. And you just got to accept the game that you're playing. Alrighty. So next question is from Sonia. Can you recommend a good supplement for fat burning for someone who trains consistently? No. That's it. I think we're done. So cheers. All right. Thanks for that. <laughs> the amount of people over the years who I've gotten off specific fat burner products that have lost weight, like within a week, two weeks later. So I suppose let's talk about some of the mechanics of that. I remember I had one girl came to see me and she was on like three different fat burners and she was wondering why she couldn't sleep at night. I was like, are you for real? I think she's on like six to 800 milligrams of caffeine a day. That's from, the thing. It's just the because burners. of the caffeine. <laughs> That's the thing yeah. people do not understand. It is because of the caffeine there. Yeah, but they also, they also are saying smart. They put like ni- a little bit of niacin in, in most of the fat burners. So you get a little bit of a flush from the B3 flushing. Mm. So that's why you feel like, oh, caffeine and uh, a bit of a flush. You feel like it's working. Like, oh, I feel more vascular. It's just the niacin, right? You could buy that for like 10 bucks. Um, it's not going to help you burn fat. So let's talk about that because a lot of people don't understand what it is. So, I mean, you've got your parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system, right? So your parasympathetic is your rest and digest. Your sympathetic is your uh, fight or flight, right? So when you're training, you want sympathetic to be active, right? So when you're training, having a cup of coffee before you're training, very, very beneficial into pushing you into that sympathetic drive where you can do your best, right? And also, uh, hopefully, will trigger some cortisol. Cortisol will help mobilize blood glucose. Blood glucose is then going to be utilized during your training when you're physically active. Now, if you take that substrate, let's say in this case, caffeine, which is guarana in fat-burning t- tablets or whatever it is, in, in most fat-burning tablets, there is some form of stim- stimulant that goes into that fat-burning tablet, right? If you have that, let's say, you know, at, at intermittent times of the day, on top of if you're having coffee, let's say it calls for your fat burner to have it at like, uh, I don't know, six o'clock. Well, that's going to, at PM that is, you're going to want to be start rest and digest. You're going to want to be going parasympathetic, right? And now you're boosting that up and having, um, yeah, you're boosting you over to sympathetic when you want to be rest and digest. And that's going to make you harder to sleep, right? Because uh, caffeine also has a half-life and binds with adenosine in your brain. So if you're having, let's say, 100 milligrams at, say, 6 p.m., there's what, a four-hour, six-hour half-life of caffeine? I think it goes up to eight hours. Eight right? hours. Yeah. So that means that like eight hours in, like let's say in the middle of night where you want um, melatonin to be high. Yeah, it's 50 you've milligrams. Still, you've still got 50 milligrams, you know, left over. You've had 100 milligrams at 6, 6 p.m. So um, any way you cut it, this isn't good for sleep. And sleep, if you, I mean, you want one supplement for, for fat loss, it's sleep. Right? Oh. You got it for free. You can do it. 
You know, like the better quality of sleep you're going to have, if, if by nothing, like if I was to recommend one thing that you could do aside from diet and training, right? If, if you just said do one thing for, uh, for, for fat loss, it'd be sleep, sleep properly, like get to bed on time and have eight hours a night bar none and don't have coffee. And I know these people who say, you know, I can have coffee, fall asleep. It's fine. Well, it's still affecting your sleep because the adenosine receptors and it's still bumping you into sympathetic, right? No one is going to get out of that. And that's the thing. If you can have caffeine and go to sleep, you already have an underlying problem. Your cortisol is completely jacked up. Your adrenal glands is completely jacked up to the point where you actually need caffeine to try to function a bit at 12 a.m. at night and you still fall asleep. That is completely messed up. You probably need to check yourself in terms of seeing how your cortisol is going as well as, you know, your circadian rhythm. Are you producing enough melatonin to actually function and actually be well itself there? Yeah. So the other thing they do in a lot of fat loss formulas is they put like tyrosine. And again, tyrosine is an amino acid that's going to boost dopamine in the brain. So if you're having it at night or having it during the day, what this can do for some people is they get quite, they get anxiety, anxious when they have fat burners. Like I know that many people who they come in and like, I'm taking these fat burners. I'm like, are you anxious? Yeah, how'd you know? I'm like, well, this has got like, you know, tyrosine and this in it and this in it and B vitamins, just ramping that, those pathways of dopamine. And this is where people think like dopamine, dopamine, I need dopamine. Most people like already don't have a problem with dopamine, right? Some people do, some lazy people do, they need more dopamine. Mm. But if you're, a, if you're an A performer, if you're an a, a plus player, if you're already got like a business and you're hustling and hustling hard, whatever, you probably don't have a, do- a problem with dopamine. You probably actually need to settle that and get into what's an optimal range because there's always a bell curve, right? So if you push that, you push it to the point of anxiousness. And that's not a place that you want to be in terms of performance because anxiousness is going to actually impede your performance, not actually increase it. With that said, there are some things, fat burning wise, like berberine. Yes. Uh, your bean. Yes. Yes, there's research for that for two, specifically for stubborn body fat. But then the thing is, you know, all right, so at the end of the day, fat burning supplements, there are some, but you got to sort your diet out first. Sort your diet out and let your sleep go really well and you most probably just lose fat by yourself there. So there's no point of investing extra cash or extra you know, money self there just to amp yourself up really yeah well i suppose an, an eloquent way to do fat loss supplements is to optimize biochemistry mm. so it's really then about looking at like what is your insulin status or like how how insulin sensitive are you uh can we influence that but it's also like how much carbs are you having because there's no point really influencing someone's insulin sensitivity if they're not eating any cut because like if i'm going to have like say berberine for example um or one of the the glucose disposal alpha acid, right? yeah, yeah exactly yeah. right like alpha, all these things like I'm not going to just have it and just not eat carbs. Oh, you're going to pass out. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have it. I'm going to eat a whole bunch of carbs so that way I can get those carbs into the muscle, right? So it's going to increase my insulin sensitivity to then utilize those carbohydrates so my body can uptake them and work better essentially. So I'm getting more bang for buck. So the other thing is like if you look at cortisol, people are stressed all the time. If you're, if you're struggling with body fat because you're stressed, well then the supplement regime is going to be different. It's going to be things like vitamin C or adrenal herbs. You might even go to- Adaptogens, yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So that's going to help with your stress, but by a side effect, you're going to get a fat loss result. So I suppose in summary on this one, there's almost never a case, I don't think there's ever a case where I ever give someone a fat loss, fat loss supplement. Yeah. I'm giving them things to support function hormonally whether it be or fix foundations yeah correct support the foundation with the supplements there's no fat loss supplement yeah nice jacket mr marshall thank you very much uh almost as nice as the conversation we've had this last couple of hours or whatever it was (laughs) Um, had a great conversation 
thank you for your time. Where can the folks at home uh, find you? Well, my Instagram handle is that.mr.tan. Yeah. Now, the feedback that consistently gets given to you about your Instagram is that you have a voice like chocolate and you wake <laughs> up and you just relax people with your story. So if you are an Instagrammer, uh, make sure you check out Mr. Mr. Tan, Mr. Dot Tan. No, it's, it's, it's oh, let me say it again. It's that dot Mr. Dot Tan. So I just pretended to get it wrong so I could hear you talking. Oh, okay, that's, cool. That's all it was. Yeah. So I suppose in, in summary, folks, Marshall and I, uh, over this episode, we've gotten into a few different topics. We both have had a lot of unique and personal experiences in this field. And I suppose, you know, at the end of the day, this is a little bit of a landmine's nutrition. And you do sometimes need a Sherpa, if you will, a little guide to guide you through the, the jungle that can be confusion and can be the landmines. And if you're in a bad place with your nutrition or you're not maybe in a bad place, you wanna optimize, or you just woke up after this crazy world, this crazy lockdown and thought, you know, I need to, I need to get myself healthy. Like if not now, when, if not me, who? I need to get myself healthy. I need to do something. I need this. I want to look in the mirror, feel that confidence inside and out. I want to glow and I want to share special something with the world. Get in contact with us. We can definitely help you. This is what we do for a living. This is what I feel I've been put on the planet to do. I know it's what you feel you've been put on the planet to do. You get in contact with me at Mark Otobri. Of course, you can get contact at Enterprise. Enterprise Instagram is at Enterprise Fitness AU. Shoot us an email at info at enterprisefitness.com.au. Subscribe to us if you're watching this on YouTube. Just hit that button below. We really appreciate this. If you're on our iTunes, please leave us a review. Get the word out. Share this episode with your friends. If you want more from us, as I said, folks, we are at Enterprise Fitness in Richmond, Melbourne, Victoria. Folks, it's been my pleasure. Until next time, train hard, eat well, and supplement smart. 